Hey, Evan, you probably won't believe this, but uh, I can ride my bike with no handlebars. Wait. No handlebars. You, not even one handlebar? No handlebars. Dude, you look confused, but dude, I can ride my bike with no handlebars. I don't remember any of the other... I can start a war with no handlebars. I don't know any of the other There's something either. about like an realized. apocalypse at some point. Yeah, like... I can start an apocalypse with no handlebars, no handle. Yeah, it's like that kind of thing. Was that was that a popular song in America? That was a popular song amongst friends named if I recall correctly. Wait, does he give money to our podcast? I don't know. <laughs> we should bleep him out. <laughs> he doesn't. No, he doesn't give money to our podcast. So I remember talking to you about that song in college, and how you really loved it, and how it was kind of like comparing how kids like to show up riding their bike with no handlebars and how we do the same thing as a society by edging towards nuclear apocalypse. And that was a brilliant thought. But if you want to get credit for it, you got to donate to us on Patreon. This is in the intro, which we should mention in the outro. Uh, Yo, uh, that was actually like a pretty decent song. It was a, I really like that song, yeah. And there's a reason I opened up quoting, I can ride my bike with no handlebars, go look it up, it's a fun song. Because today we're talking about A Bicycle Built for Boo. Uh, yeah, it is the pilot episode of a series called uh, A Pup Named Scooby-Doo, uh, which we covered in our fifth episode, and now that we are in our 20th? Is that right? I think this is episode 20, correct. Now that we're in our 20th, we have decided to uh, return to it. Yeah, and we're pretty well qualified to talk about such an episode because we are the Scooby-Dudes. We're the Scooby-Dudes. Uh, he's Luke. He's Evan. Uh, we're two uh, best and friends. We're, we're two friends, and we... Uh, we're two best friends. We have a podcast in which we Gosh. talk about our favorite meddling kids. <laughs> and they're dumb dog, too. And, uh, and that's what we're doing today. We're talking about them as little bitty babies and a puppy. It's like a, like a pretty, uh, probably unintentional, but like a pretty <laughs> passable Aziz Ansari impression. Really? Yeah, actually, <laughs> I would say so. completely unintentional. Little puppy. <laughs> I hear it now that you repeated it. <laughs> nice. Uh, I, I can't think of too much more to mention. We preface this episode with a brief explanation, and then we just get right into it. And uh, frankly, I just hope you guys enjoy it. Evan, do you have any hopes for our our listeners' experiences? I really want to quote the re- Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I really wish that I had, like, brought up this list of lyrics so I could I could have uh, I could have gotten your attention, you know, and I could have told you to like look at me, look at me, hands in the air like it's good to be alive, and I'm a famous rapper even the paths are all crookedly. Hey, can you show me? Can you show me how you do that dozy do? I can show you. Yeah, I can show you how to dozy do. I can show you how to scratch a record. Yeah, but you can't take apart the remote control, can you? No, and I definitely could not put it back together. Oh yeah. yeah. This is. This is the worst thing we've ever done. Uh, it's, it's worse than when I tied a knot in a cherry stem, or when I told you about Leif Erikson. Yeah. <laughs> uh, especially because we had to look up the lyrics, because we don't know all the words, like we do to De Colores. The, the best part is, um, we're not even going to play the theme song anymore. That right there, <laughs> this, is, this is the new <laughs> theme song. We hope you do listen to this episode in spite of the intro. 
Two dudes talking about Scooby-Doo. Two dudes just like you. Unless you're a lady, mm, this show is for ladies too. If you're LGBTQ, we are your Scooby-Doos. <clears throat> um. At night, I think of you. I want to be your lady, maybe if your game is on, give me a call, boo. If you're loving strong, gonna give my all to you. Wait, give, give, give you a kaboom? I'll give you a wait, a what? Give me a call, boo. A call, Give me boo. a call, like oh, if you've taken boo. my bicycle. Like if this was a bicycle <laughs> for you. Yeah, maybe give me a ring in that case. On that, that nice bell that I've got. On my, uh, my, what, my cherry... My cherry 1959 Starfire I special. I thought it was Sapphire special. It's probably Starfire. That makes more sense. Yeah, because Sapphire would be a different color. I'm really glad mm. that um that you edit this podcast so that you can <laughs> auto tune that. Uh, <laughs> you know that's not gonna happen. <laughs> that that uh, loving rendition of Ghost Town DJ's "My Boo," uh, which is actually a song that I really like. That's, you know, I don't know that song. I'll have to look that up. You'll have to link me. Um, but you should know that I'm only going to auto-tune you to sound worse. Because you, you, dude, you sounded seriously good there. You, you know those, um, you know those uh, Smash Mouth memes? Mm-hmm. Where it's just like <laughs> Smash Mouth, but every, but every note is a C? You're just going to do that with, uh, with my vocals? <laughs> yeah, kind of. I mean, right now, you sounded like Death Cab for Cutie. Like, you sounded like a band that refuses to use uh, an auto-tuner and just sounds perfect nonetheless. But I'm going to make you sound like T-Pain infected with a virus. <laughs> T-Pain with a computer virus? Um, exactly that. Okay, so we would have told our listeners uh, right mm. in the intro that what we're doing is uh, a bicycle built for Boo. Thanks, intro, for doing the heavy lifting. Uh, which is uh, the pilot episode, or the first episode, mm -hmm. of a pup named Scooby-Doo. Uh, so for some of our newer listeners that might not know, our fifth episode of this podcast, uh, we covered Scooby-Dude, uh, which was uh, an episode of this show. Um, so we did not start from the beginning. We're doing that now. We are not going to get into a lot of the... Uh, what, like basics of what this show is just because we've done it in the past it's basically it's a 90s show about scoob and the gang and they're all kids yeah it's it's everyone is kids uh, everyone is voiced by uh, a kid version of themselves except shaggy who is still voiced by casey Kasem. and honestly i think that's a great way to just like segue into covering this episode because it starts with a, a monologue yeah by it's the shagster the shagster himself uh, narrating his life, like really leading us in as the camera zooms into his suburban house. And I do want to say, I find it really disconcerting that Shaggy sounds like Shaggy always does, and everyone else has these, like, they, they all have the voices of children. Like, it, it is kind of weird, because Shaggy is an adult, that Casey Kasem is an adult man voicing Shaggy, and all the others are voiced by kids, or people who do very convincing kid voices. To me, it's kind of like the new DuckTales TV show, Donald Duck sounds like a monster <laughs> compared to everyone else. You, because you have said that. <laughs> and everyone else is like, oh, it's Bobby Moynihan and Danny Pudi and it's uh, David Tennant and, uh, and Ben Schwartz, all these like great voice actors. And now it's weird. Yeah, it's, it's very off-putting. And it's like, you could have... I feel like they could have found someone who, who could do a passable rendition of like a juvenile Shaggy. 
But no, they didn't. They just um, they stuck with what worked. And I think as a result, it kind of doesn't yeah. work a little bit. I I'll, I'll voice a little bit of disagreement there. I I actually do think this works. I'm a I'm a big fan of Casey Kasem as Shaggy, and I think he does a good job. Uh, Shaggy he he always does Shaggy as kind of a he's got a high pitched voice, and uh, and so it's it's believable for me. Or maybe I just needed to hear Casey Kasem as Shaggy. Whatever the case, we we zoom in on Shaggy's suburban home, and he's telling us a little bit about his life, setting the scene, which he needs to because again, this is the first episode. So he's like, uh, this is like Coolsville, USA. Um, every morning, Mr. Conrad drops off papers uh, for him to deliver because he has a paper route. And when he wakes up early, or when he doesn't, rather, uh, his best friend in the world, Scooby, wakes him up. Yep, so we see some newspapers thrown on his lawn from a uh, van. Uh, it's the Daily Bungle, I think is the name of the it's, newspaper. It's uh, a babbler. No, the Daily Babbler, that's right. The two things I want to note in this scene before Scooby does go ahead and wake Shaggy up while he's still sleeping there angelically. First of all, Shaggy's lips are so fulsome. I don't know if you... <laughs> Why would you use the word fulsome? They are. They're so, like, round and when he's, like, snoring wide open mouth and closing. And the second thing is that when Scooby busts out of the closet, he, he was in the closet apparently all night. That's where Scooby sleeps. I like... You you described Shaggy's lips as like fulsome. They're like fulsome lips. Like you would just get like trapped. You would be it's like you, uh, they've they've jailed you. Those lips, those fulsome yeah. lips. I'm frozen. They've got me in their sights. That was just it was just a pun, you know. Like uh, hmm. is that that's like Johnny Ca- like that was like Johnny Cash. Wait, what what was the pun again? Um, there was like a fulsome prison. Oh, fulsome prison. I think that's where oh. like Johnny Cash played to like the inmates. You're no, you you've got it there. That's right. Oh man, dropping sick Johnny Cash references. Be a little more timely on a Shags to Riches episode, but fortunately, this is not oh, that. Shags to Riches. So Scooby wakes up Shaggy, and, and he does it in an interesting way. I don't know if we want to get uh, details. Well, he like that. jumps on him. He like licks his face. I the one thing I wanted to make note of is that mm. he licks his face, which is if you wanted to translate that into like a human uh, action, dog licks or kisses. That's how a dog would kiss you. Yeah, or t- dog licks to me are almost like dog hugs because they don't have that in them, but that's like how they greet you and how they show that basic level of affection. The one thing I, I did note about that is that like Scooby licks Shaggy's face a bunch of times and then he kisses him to sort of cap it all off. And it was kind of like, here are my dog kisses and now here is a human kiss for you. <laughs> in every language, including in your native tongue, in that it was a French kiss. Uh, so um, Shaggy's like, Scoob... You know, like, leave me alone. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get up. Do me a favor. Go load the papers onto my bike. <sighs> there's, there's that bundle of newspaper. This is, a, like, a really... There are a lot of visual gags on this show. And we both noticed this. I know we both did. Oh, it's too weird not to notice it. Because it is a trope. It is a trope in cartoons, what we're about to describe. But not from someone like Scooby-Doo. Well, but it's not, a, it's not a trope for dogs, right? It's a trope for robots. It's a trope... <laughs> what? <laughs> or cats. I don't think cats. I don't think a cat. Okay, I don't think a cat oh, okay. has ever. <laughs> what is it? What I don't is think that? a cat has ever unsheathed its claws, only to reveal that its claws are various like Swiss Army knife implements. Do you think this is just Inspector Gadget and uh, and Darkwing Duck? Not Darkwing Duck. Oh, what was the other one? The robot one. Oh shoot! It was Gizmo. Oh, the was, there was a RoboCop duck. Is that what you're talking the about? The RoboCop yeah. duck. Yeah. No, I think this is absolutely something that happens with cats too. Because cats have retractable claws, and that's what Scooby does. He, like, 
to open up this bag of newspapers, this uh, twine rope, uh, twine wrapped bag, uh, packet of newspapers, he springs his claws out, and there's like a bottle opener claw. There's a couple other types as well. Yeah, let's let's note that dogs do not have claws. Yeah, like they've got nails. That's that's all the dogs have. This is it's, I think I've seen this with cats, like Tom and Jerry and stuff like that. But Scooby like shings out that he has one really sharp nail. He has one bottle opener. He has one corkscrew, and he has a fork. Uh, and he that's what he uses to like cut the twine on the uh, on the bundle of newspapers. It's weird. I I found it very I found it a little bit off putting. Um, I I mean, would this? Do you think this would have worked if it was a cat? I don't think it would work if it was an like if it was anything that was not a robot. Robots <laughs> can do this. <laughs> I, I don't. I wouldn't argue with you that it's weird for an animal to do this, but I don't know that it's normal for a robot to do this. It's normal for a robot to have Swiss Army nails. <laughs> You're saying it would be weird if a robot didn't have these capabilities. That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay, well, uh, what happens is Scooby, um, someone like hands him the paper or something, and he says, "Uh." Thank you very much. He he hears in response like, uh, "Can you do the voice?" It's like, "Thank you very much. My pleasure." And as deep and as vocal fry as you can imagine, we find out that it's um, there's like a swamp monster, which basically just like looks like a monster comprised of like green goop. And not only does this monster politely respond to uh, Scooby's gratitude. It also says hilariously, I want this bike, <laughs> at which point it takes Shaggy's bicycle. And it's, I guess it's the sort of thing, you have to remember that this is a show for children. Yeah, and this is the, as high as you can raise the stakes for kids. Like, if you put lives on, lives on the line, that doesn't mean as much to children as getting your bike stolen. That they understand. It's also that the fact that, like, the bike is stolen, hmm. but we need to make it very apparent we need the monster to say he desires the bike so that his theft of the bike becomes logical. You're, we're imagining a writer's room where they're thinking through so many contingencies. What if the kids think he's just trying to make a getaway? What if he's committed a crime somewhere else and we assume that he's just trying to use this bike to get away from that? So Shaggy's distraught. And um, he's reached out to not Mystery Incorporated. Yeah, they're not called Mystery Incorporated for no reason. They should still be called that. That makes so much sense. At this point, they are called uh, the Scooby-Doo Detective Agency. Mm-hmm. And it's the, the regular gang. We're not going to describe them. Just go listen to our fifth I mean, episode. really briefly, Fred has a bully haircut. Okay, yes, he looks like Biff Tanner. It's Tanner, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think so. I think you're right. From Back to the Future. And, uh, and, and uh, really brief descriptions for the others. Velma looks like a chibi version of herself and Daphne is actually pretty fashion fashionable and cute yeah very fashion forward um and there, there's like a funny little bit of dialogue where they're just like don't they say that well Fred says uh, well Shaggy I'm glad to see that you're taking the stolen bike stuff like a man uh at which point uh Shaggy tells him that uh, masculinity is a prison and he doesn't want to be he doesn't want to be constrained by uh, by yeah. these, by by gender normativity. Yeah, you don't wallow in your own toxic masculinity, but don't press it on me, Freddy. Uh, that's not what Shaggy says. Shaggy is throwing a fit 
but pounding the ground, kicking it, and pounding with his hand, saying, uh, oh man, what is it he says? My, my cherry 1959 Starfire special. My bike, my cherry 1959 Starfire special. He's like so whiny. I laughed it's, out loud it's at that point. It's really funny. <laughs> it's so, that scene is hilarious. It and really deserves it to watch. It is classic. It's it's a cla- it's a classic Scooby Doo bit of like dialogue. It's a classic Scooby joke. And I just love Shag. I don't think I've ever seen Shaggy that like upset. And it, it does bring home the fact that they're kids. These are children. Um. So at this point, Scooby kind of relates like, oh yeah, like a ghost took it. And um, in this particular series, Daphne is the skeptic. Daphne says a number of times, and this is the first time, there's no such thing as ghosts. It's not going to be the last time she says that either. And that's also, and up to, yeah. Are, I, I, are we going to say the same thing? No, I think you were going to say it uniquely. Go for it. Uh, at this point, we're we're three minutes into the episode. Velma is present, but she says nothing. Actually, that was what I was going to say. Yeah, Velma is going to completely silent at this point. And by the expression she has looking at everyone else when they're talking, it's like she's a baby and doesn't even know how to read facial expressions, <laughs> let alone understand speech. And and honestly, since she's so like diminutive and small. That is kind of the impression you get that, like, maybe Velma's, like, three years younger than everyone. Yeah, like, maybe she doesn't talk yet. I actually wrote in my notes, is Velma a mute? And maybe in our later episode that we covered, Scooby-Dude, at that point, she has learned the powers of speech. (laughs) That was a possibility in this episode. Kind of like Ice Bear in We Bear Bears. But that's uh, when they do flashbacks to them as kids. I just had written that she looks like a baby. An infant. Um, and well, after Scooby says it was a monster, it was a ghost that took the bike, Fred knows exactly who that's got to be. Yeah, Fred knows for a fact, without the shadow of a doubt, he has absolute certainty that it is Red Herring. Red Herring, if you remember from last episode, he's a red-headed little boy uh, with a heart tattoo on his arm and an arrow through it. I hope that's a temporary tattoo, but with Red Herring, you never know. And uh, he's kind of a... Kind of a bad dude. Those of you who have perused TV tropes, um, and, and who maybe just know about TV tropes, mm. uh, or sorry, tropes in general, will know that a red herring in a mystery is uh, a culprit who is sort of there, or a suspect rather, who is there to um, distract you. Or sorry, it doesn't need to be a person, it could also be a thing. It could be, it's a, a false lead. I think would be a, a fair way of describing it. Yeah, it, it draws your attention, but it is actually of no consequence. And and apparently this is like a long-running, I guess, gag in the series, is Fred thinks it's always thinks it's a red herring, and it basically is never red herring. And, and even if Fred accuses someone other than red herring, he's always wrong. He's never not going to be wrong. And even though red herring is a bad dude, it's never him. It's probably going to be him once. So, yeah, it, it has At to be. Point, there has to be one episode where Fred he- Red Herring is the monster. Uh, they follow Red Herring. They're following him because they're they're pretty sure that he took the bike. They follow him into his hideout, which is in Weirdo Woods. And Weirdo Woods, this is a pretty weird location. For one thing, the mud there is pink. Yeah, it's like a pinkish purplish mud. That's exactly right. Yeah, apparently Weirdo Woods is located in Candyland. Uh, just a little bit of a... Uh, we find out a little bit about Daphne. She's kind of prissy. She screams, not because she sees a ghost, uh, but because she gets mud on her new go-go boots. <laughs> More like goo-goo boots. All this pink mud. Chetching. Scooby and Shaggy, <laughs> in response to, to Daphne stating this, like, oh, that's why she's scared, 
look at each other with the most sly faces imaginable. And Shaggy says, Daphne hates getting dirty. Almost as much as we hate swamp monsters. It's ridiculous. It's... And the way I said that first sentence is not at all far away from the way that Casey Kasem delivered the line. All right, okay. Um, Daphne hates getting dirty. He does say it, he does say it really weirdly. I cannot remember if that's exactly what it sounded like, but it's, it's not that bad. It's, it's, but it's a not really, good. it's a, it's a, it's a strange delivery. Right after he says that, a swamp monster does materialize out of this purplish, pinkish mud that we've been describing, um, and it scares the gang. And after they've been scared, it pulls off its head uh, to reveal the head of a small boy underneath. Uh, <laughs> that small, Which it, it, it had obviously eaten the small boys. Uh, red herring um and can we just say that this happens in scooby dude as well <laughs> the red herring dresses up as a smaller version of the real monster and scares them i'm genuinely so curious i don't want to check because i don't want to spoil it for myself if he but does this, this every time yeah does this happen every time where red herring like to really spit in the face of fred's theory <laughs> goes so far as to like actually because here's the thing at this point at this point in this episode, Red Herring has no concrete idea that a swamp monster has taken the bike. Well, I think. This implies a world, to me, and the fact that we've seen it twice, in which Red Herring constantly surveils uh, the, the gang and waits for them to be attacked by a monster and then goes and meticulously recreates that monster costume to prank them with it. Even though, as we've told you already, he's never guilty. He's obsessed with them. Red's behavior is a... It, it's not a crime, but it's something. It's, it's very concerning. He should be in therapy at, the, at a minimum. Well, here, here's the thing. For, for as much as uh, Red is, is kind of a menace, I think it's safe to say, um, he, the true crime is perpetrated by Fred not some moments later. Yeah, in that red herring is kind of a, a nuisance, but Fred is an outright menace. They, they locate uh, they locate a bicycle behind a bush, and it is a blue bicycle. And Fred says, "Oh, it's Shaggy's bike." At which point Shaggy's like, "Oh, well, you know, my bike is red. This is a blue bike. My bike is a red bike." Fred says, uh, "He he painted it blue." Yeah, obviously that's got to be what happened. Um, he he requests sandpaper. At which point Velma provides him with what he calls a sandblaster. And that's what he takes to Red's property. He goes to town on it. He just, he sands the hell out of it. He scuffs it up, down, left, right, and center. And of course, it's just scuffed blue at the end. There's no red under that. Uh, red to sort of, rightfully so, well, I mean, this is a weird way to get out revenge, but he hops on the scuffed up bike and then bikes directly in Fred's direction yeah he he runs over fred with the bicycle which you know i mean you understand his rage the guy's seeing red but it's not uh it's, it's not necessarily justifiable he leaves fred with a skid mark that goes all the way from the top of his head down to his groin and i think the other way as well do we see it on his back yeah, i think possibly i think we do which implies that <laughs> Red ran him over once, flipped him like a pancake, and ran him <laughs> over again. <laughs> uh, they're sitting on a stoop. It turns out that they're all... It turns out, first of all, that Fred has been injured. That's obvious. Mm. Um, 
Daphne is nursing his wounds. <laughs> you and mean dabs... she put <laughs> a band-aid on his nose? She she dabs a bit of cotton, I guess an iodine, and like presses it to his nose, at which point he does what I did when I was a child. Let's let's take a take a little bit of a deep dive into Evan's childhood. Ooh. I um, can't wait. We were in the Philippines. We lived on a very it was such a steep incline, like that hill. Um, and it was like a paved road. I mean, the Philippines, like, we have paved roads. Um, but really gravelly. And I guess I was running down and I fell Ooh. very hard on my knee. And you know when that happens, it, you know, it, there's a lot of blood. It's, like, very bloody. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of, like, loose little bits of skin and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, it's gross. Especially with gravel. It, it's, it scuffs ugly. It really tears up your flesh. Uh, so we went back to my house. And I'm, like, sobbing because I'm a child. Um, hmm. And my mom is like, okay, well, we're going to have to clean the wound. We, you know, we don't want it to get infected. At which point I begin howling because <laughs> the thought of the pain is like worse than the pain itself. Yeah, the anticipation of it, like every shot I've ever gotten to this day. And, <laughs> and here's the thing. I remember so clearly, honestly, I remember so clearly. I was putting up such a fuss. I was screaming so, like my, the, all of the neighbors must have heard it. And when she finally started to apply, I think it was hydrogen peroxide, because hydrogen peroxide doesn't sting as much as alcohol. Hmm. When she finally applied it, I recognized then and there, I, I must have been like, I think, eight years old. I recognized that it did not hurt very much, but I could not, I had, my, I had my pride. I, I screamed so much, I was like, I must, I must scream louder now. To justify the screams that came before. And for years after that, you told your family that the uh, the peroxide got into an artery and burned all the way down to your foot. And you're pretty sure a bone oh, pierced man. a nerve. I, I don't know if my mom... Like, my mom supports this podcast. I don't know if she listens to the podcast. And this is a story I really do not want her to know. She's going to disown like, you, dude. You had a mother before we released this episode. No, seriously. I just remember being like... I screamed so much, and then it happened, and I was like, oh, not that bad, but people, like, I had, I had created a sense of expectation for both myself and for others. You were like the boy who cried wolf, but that last time you realized you went too far, so you dressed up as a wolf, and you went to town on a couple of the sheep. <laughs> you know what, you, it does speak pretty well to you that you recognized it at the time. Like, that sounds like a pretty big learning experience. Yeah, no, I was I was a very uh, self-aware child. Um, all of that is to say that uh, Daphne dabs a little bit of a cotton ball on in the general vicinity of Fred's nose, at which point he starts to, to scream and say, ow, 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 and sort of, like, hops around and, like, writhes on the ground. And, like, Fred has a full-body injury, so feasibly, like, or, like, ostensibly... This would only hurt him more. Yeah, he, he does bounce all over the place. Oh, And at the same time, Scooby, I'm just noticing this now, Scooby's wearing a nurse outfit and a really curly blonde wig. You know what? If you go to the Scooby wiki, it says that chronologically this is the first time Scooby has ever dressed up as a, nurse, as a blonde nurse. Which means, yeah, this will... It'll happen again. The way that it's so specific when they say that, it means that he's dressed up as a brunette nurse or something in the past. Yeah, somebody's, this is specifically just blonde nurse. Yeah, somebody is out there logging these into an Excel spreadsheet and holding color swatches up against the TV screen. Oh, boy. Okay, so, yeah. So, 
this uh, this stripe on Freddy, Velma takes a look at, and she says uh, she thinks it might be a clue. And everyone is kind of takes a step back at that because Velma just spoke. They are like, oh, Velma spoke. And that's a big deal now. And it should be a big deal to us as well because, again, she could have been an infant up to this point. A real toddler. Anything to add there before what she finds is described? It's just so weird because there's no, there's no precedent. Do you know what, you, you know what I mean? There's, yeah, there's no reason to make Velma younger than the rest. She's smarter than any of them. She's shorter, sure, but that has nothing to do with age. When you're all, I mean, when you're all the same age, you're going to be different heights anyway. No, and also, like, no one has made explicit mention of the fact that uh, Velma is a person of few words. Mm. So them saying, like, oh, Velma spoke seems... They've done a lot of hand-holding leading up to this with the monster being like, I want this bike. <laughs> <laughs> that, it's kind of weird to expect kids to be like, oh, she didn't speak. And then they're like, oh, she spoke. And mm. yeah, it just seems it, it it seems very off to me. But yeah, she she does speak. She does say "aha," which they deduce as meaning that she must have an idea. Ah, uh, she must have a clue, and she does have an idea. The idea is that she's she's looking through a magnifying glass at these tire tracks on uh, going up and down Fred, and she then pulls out a suitcase out of which pops up a giant supercomputer. Uh, she. Uh, punches in something to do with the treads like she maps something out on it she yeah does some... literally like on csi like when they when they look for tire treads on csi that's it's, basically what she does it's that level of realistic which is uh, an insult to both this show and csi okay first of all i love csi second of all i want to make mention of um what appears on the screen prior to these tire tracks oh dang what does it it's, it's, it's a number of equations uh there's e equals mc squared slash the square root of zero on the first line that makes sense i guess like they're all like that's math yeah that, that would make sense for her desktop background under under that uh there's k minus d minus x uh i don't know what is k like kinetic energy d is something x is something minus distance minus well not my strong suit i'm afraid and, and here's the thing <laughs> on the line under that there's t and then there's a there's a symbol that I is not a symbol. It's not it's not anything. It's it's not like it's not a symbol you could find on a keyboard. <laughs> Did you like go through insert symbol in Microsoft Word and it's it's not anywhere in there. It's just not anything. Like if you, if you look it up, you'll see it's not anything. And then like I equals E. But it's like whoever animated this or whoever like put it together was like oh math math stuff sure E equals M C squared. But dude, and I... then once. I think I know what that is. What is it? It looks like a drawing board uh, with an ink quill on it. What? That's my honest take. But it's like, but it's like a pictogram. Yeah, it's like a pictogram of like a side view of like a, a, an artist's drawing board uh, with what looks like an inkwell on it. I mean, yeah, no, I think I definitely think that's what it is with a feather in the inkwell. So, so sure, it's like all this math and then like a hieroglyphic, a hieroglyphic. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I know you're going to pull a screenshot of this, but viewers, tell listeners, tell us what you think. I, I do think I've got it there, but that's amazing that you looked at that. And also um, the square root of zero. Yeah, square root of zero, like I said. That's zero. Yes, it, it is just zero. <laughs> Correct. Uh, tell, us, tell us what these, uh, tell us about where these tracks lead us, literally and within the context of whatever. Well, first of all, so Velma looks at the tracks on Fred. She goes onto her computer, and a little video plays of a red bike making tracks. 
some arrows point to the tracks on the screen, and Velma then goes to the sidewalk and looks at some tracks on the ground. And then she says, let's follow these tracks on the ground. And that's it. I guess just to summarize that, so she looked at the tracks on Freddy, she thought she had a clue, she ran some kind of simulation, all of that only served to remind her that they could just follow the tracks, which were there all along. Here's my whole thing about this. It makes sense that if this bike left tracks and the monster rode the bike away, um, this man-sized monster on this child's bike, uh, that there would be tracks for them to follow, because in cartoons, every, every wheeled vehicle leaves tracks, right? So that makes sense. Where, uh, where it starts to fall apart is, yeah. they're like, Scoob, sniff and follow the trail of the bike. And, and scents are not visual. Like, like, these are two different tracks or kinds of clues. Do you know what I mean? Like, what? That, that doesn't... There's so many things. I, to go back to the her, Velma's thought process here a little bit, it seems... This seems like the weirdest time to not have them describe what they're thinking. Like, to make this purely visual and not to hold the viewer's hand. I got confused. And I'm a 27-year-old man. But at the same time, she looks at the track... So that... And it makes sense what you said, that she figured out from that that the bike leaves tracks, but if someone could have just said, oh, if that bike left tracks on Freddy, this bike must have left tracks here. But just running that, what was the computer simulation? I guess that just went to, the whole thing seemed an obvious setup to show that these tracks on Freddy matched the tracks on Shaggy's bike. And, and that's not even remotely it. You're right, but that's not the case at all. It's just some things leave tracks and then we're not even gonna follow those specific kinds of tracks, we're going to follow scent tracks because we're going to get Scooby to sniff. Which makes even less sense, but that's what they do. And then Scooby does start sniffing it out. His tail makes a little arrow and it points in the direction that they've got to go. So, so Scooby is dragging Shaggy around. Um, and obviously because uh, they're going at such high speeds, the rest of the gang cannot feasibly keep up with them. So uh, the vehicle, their children, the mystery machine, they're not nearly old enough to drive. Um, the vehicle that they are on is a very large motor-powered skateboard. Uh, with Fred and Velma in the front, and sorry, with Fred and Daphne in the front, and Velma in the back as the dri- as the driver. Yeah, Velma's in the back, almost handling the engine on this thing as if it were an outboard motor. That's what I got the impression of. And it's kind of hard to tell looking at it. But it looks like she's got this maniacal, twisted, crooked grin that goes all the way ac- around almost her whole head. It, it is pretty disturbing, I, I will say. Like, she's, like Fred and Daphne are terrified on this uh, skateboard, and they're telling her to slow down, and she's not responding at all. Again, the grin just does not flinch. Uh, they go so fast, they go so far, um, eventually uh, they end up, they, they, they get to the point where they're making their way downtown, um, <laughs> <laughs> that was on purpose. <laughs> uh, but they're not walking past. <laughs> walking fast. Though faces... <laughs> there are faces past, and but they're not homebound. Do you think, do you think you'd get past the first line? <laughs> <laughs> it sucks. It sucks because as I started saying the lyrics, I realized that they weren't as applicable as I wanted them to be. <laughs> they, they do go through a very urban city center like it's a really big uh, skyscraper buildings and all this stuff they explore the setting in a satisfying way so yeah you made note of an important part they definitely do go from suburbia to 
suburbia, as it were. <laughs> uh, not suburbia, but domurbia. Uh, and, and ultimately, Scooby leads them to the Daily Baffle, uh, the newspaper that Shaggy works for. The Daily Babbler. Babbler? Oh, that's right. <laughs> How did I get it wrong two different times, two different ways? You said the Daily Bungle and then the Daily Baffle. I, I almost said the Daily Bugle, you're like, which it's kind of a play on. You're, you're like writing your, like, if you were a writer on the show, you're like writing your own jokes. Like, the, the, this would feasibly be a bit for this episode. <laughs> and not just your general incompetence on this podcast. My general incompetence is a, a polished ploy. Dear listeners, you've fallen for it yet again. Uh, they show up at the Daily Bungle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they go, just before they get into the office, well, rather, they're pulled in through the revolving door so much they make them spin. Mm. They do pass uh, a black woman in sort of like a, like a trench coat and like sunglasses. My thought was Carmen Sandiego if she were a psychic woman of color. That's very accurate. Though, Carmen Sandiego is a woman of color. Is she not? Oh, you know what? You're right. She's played... She's very uh, pale and Anglo-Saxon featured. She's very white-passing. Yeah. You're saying that Carmen Sandiego is, is a white-passing POC. I think she's a cartoon character, and in the cartoons, they whitewash her. All right. Uh, so they do... That's... Uh, maybe that's just me. They, they pass this woman. Um, they, they're then inside the Daily Babbler head office. And uh, it's really interesting because Shaggy keeps referring to this man, Mr. Co- Conrad, as his boss. Yes. Uh, whereas this man, Mr. Conrad, clearly is like kind of controlling the printing of these newspapers. We know this because we see a conveyor belt and a machine, which is, I can't describe it otherwise, squirting out newspapers based on the sound <laughs> you effect. You can't describe it otherwise. <laughs> I you wish, just don't want my to. My friend, I wish I could. I... <laughs> If you saw the list of adjectives I have scattered around me in torn and scratched pieces of note paper, it's, nothing else can be said, but it's they're squirting out of this printing press. Just, it's true. It's genuinely true. The thing that really I find so, I guess, perplexing about Mr. Conrad's relationship with Shaggy is that there are no middlemen or middlewomen of any kind between them. He he runs the production of this newspaper and is also like directly the boss of a child with a paper route. Yeah, no, the, there's a whole daily, the, there's a whole newspaper building. I'm not even gonna try and say the name of that place. <laughs> there's a whole building, like a super high t- skyscraper with a planet on the top saying the name of the newspaper, which shall not be mentioned. and. They go to the very top of it where these newspapers are being printed in, like, one room that's empty but for the machinery and Mr. Conrad working it. This huge business has two employees, Shaggy and Mr. Conrad. <laughs> Mr. Conrad, he, he, writes, he writes all, all the articles. <laughs> he, he takes the photographs. He edits them. He, uh, he, lays, out, um, he lays everything out. He, he prints them all himself, at yeah. which point... Uh, these printed newspapers make their way to Shaggy's doorstep, and then he delivers them in this neighborhood. Mr. Conrad knows he can do everything. He can even drive all the way over to Shaggy's house and deliver the newspapers. Shaggy doesn't even have to come pick them up. But Mr. Conrad can't distribute the papers himself. It's, yeah, I... 
Sure. I mean, that's not how it works, but sure. Why not? Uh, yeah, apparently he uses printing powder as well. Like, ink powder. Is that Well, that, that's the thing. Scooby, um, he sniffs... He, he sniffs something dried and green in a little tray that made me think it was cat litter. It looked like cat... It looked like green cat litter. Uh, and it, it, he, I guess he's allergic. He sneezes and bounces all over the place. Uh, Mr. Conrad says that this cat litter is not cat litter, it is in fact dried printing ink. Yeah, it's, it says printing ink on the tray, which I, I don't know why you'd, it'd be green. I don't know why it, it's powder. I, I don't understand much about that. Scooby does have a fun little sequence where he sneezes and bounces around uh, all the walls out of the window. And, and terrifyingly, he looks down. It's, it's one of those little moments where like, oh, I, I am uh, defying gravity because I haven't noticed. But then he looks down, and you see down the side of this skyscraper, and it's very scary. It's true. You really get a sense of the height. It's like uh, Marvel's Spider-Man, that scene with the Washington Monument. Yeah, and you, you really get a sense of, like, the danger of, uh, uh and, and the scale. Anyway, he sneezes himself back indoors. Um, I do wanna, I do wanna make mention of, um, an interview that we linked to in last, last week's episode. So last, last week, that would be Be Cool Scooby-Doo Mystery 101. Um, if you go to our website, at the very bottom of the show notes, I have linked to one of, um, another member of the Scooby-Doo podcast family, a podcast named Scooby-Doo. They had an interview with John Colton Berry, who uh, helped create that show. And this is one thing I do want to share with you, Luke, that I found very interesting. Um, how to characterize Scooby and Shaggy, because apparently neither the interviewer the host of a podcast named scooby-doo nor john colton berry are particularly enamored with the gag of shaggy and scooby eating food which i found shocking and like i guess really strongly affected me because i couldn't i didn't know how to process that that's heretical i that's such a a defining characteristic of them is that they're always hungry they, they just thought that the, the gag was played out and which i disagree i no. It's it seems it seems too simple and timeless for me to ever be like unnecessary or something that you could look past. Well, like a love of food, like you said, it's timeless. That every in every age we love to eat. Yeah, it, there, there's some yeah, there's something very just like simple and like pure about it almost. It's a pure physical pleasure. Um, but the reason I bring that up is hmm. uh, apparently one thing that really appealed to John Colton Barry, in which he. Uh, gathered from scooby-doo where are you is that shaggy and scooby-doo often break the laws of physics mm. uh and this is and this is one fine example of that scooby sneezing himself out of a window realizing he is i get hundreds of feet in the air and sneezing himself back in so just something to think about um i guess moving forward is is and i think we've realized this in like scooby-doo where are you shaggy and scooby i mean in last week's episode Shaggy turns Scooby into a motorcycle. <laughs> it's true, and then he like revs his ears and rides him away. Uh, so yeah, just something to think Ooh. about. Uh, it's true, and in this episode, all throughout it, Scooby does a a huge variety of ma- different impressions and uh, and physical gags and turns into different objects and and things. So it's it's thickly there in this series. We're gonna leave um the daily the daily babbler head office in a sec. One last thing I do want to touch on is that Scooby sneezes himself into the printing press and you know what else would happen to a dog that's in a printing press he's 
His his body is broken and mangled. It comes out the other side. It's it's a mess. All the, pre- of, the press is ruined as well. All of the other papers that come out are just like smeared with canine blood and little bits of Scooby. That that obviously doesn't happen. No. What happens is that it Scooby a, a brown newspaper comes out with like Scooby's face on it. Now, and you would think it would be just like Scooby in the approximate shape as a newspaper, but it clearly has pages. Like he's folded in on himself. It's like a baklava uh, of Scooby Doo. I this this is my favorite part of the entire episode. Is Shaggy says, uh, "Looks like you made front page news," uh, and Scooby's like, "He, I don't get it." <laughs> which I which I love. I love it so much because <laughs> Scooby is is smart enough to speak, to have human speech. But he's not smart enough to get all jokes. Well, and he's smart enough to read in that Shaggy is making a joke. He can tell from Shaggy's intonation, and he knows Shaggy well enough to know that it's time to laugh. But he doesn't get the joke. I I oh. found that delightful. I really really like that. That's the kind of joke we would get in Be Cool Scooby Doo. Uh, so so what does the trail bring us after the day? the Daily Babbler head office. So we went to the Daily Babbler. We met with Shaggy's boss. Apparently they didn't think anything of that. They're, they just got right back outside the building and continued to follow the trail. This is a needless pit stop well, that they think nothing of. What, what does happen, I, I should mention this, is mm. that um, Mr. Conrad is not too pleased about a dog or a puppy being sent through the printing press. So he yells at them to get out several times. Yeah, he says, um, get out, get out, get out! What, what is this? He sounds like a cartoon character, but which one is it? Is it Elmer Fudd? Is it Elmer Fudd or is it Porky Pig? It's one of those two. It's probably not Porky Pig, because Porky Pig has like a stutter. Porky Pig has like a... Actually, you know what? They both have debilitating speech impediments. It's kind of like a cross between them. And now, get out, get out, get out! Let's get out. He kind of talks like this. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, so they do get out. They do find their way. Scoob picks up the trail once more. Um, and where he takes them is, uh, they call it Ferguson Estate. It's, it's a classic spooky, spooky house. Um, and they actually call it, uh, they actually refer to it as being the most haunted house in town. Yeah, which says something, because presumably there are a lot of haunted houses, haunted houses in this town. I think we're going to see a lot throughout the series. Uh, Scooby does not want to go inside, and and this is something that I think is really interesting, and I'll make note of it now, and we'll pick on, we'll pick it up, as we we're we're a little over halfway, we're most of the way through mm. actually, um, is yeah. that Scooby and Shaggy are a lot braver in than in any other episodes. Like just this past week, just the week before, um, Shaggy has to look behind a curtain, and he closes his eyes because he's so scared um, he, he doesn't mind walking into death's arms so long as he doesn't have to look in those hollow eyes like that's how cowardly he is it's like yeah sure if i have to if i have to go behind this curtain i will do it but i won't look to see what's there because i don't want to be scared which which makes this series kind of really thrilling it's kind of like the better call Saul of scooby-doo what breaks shaggy so much that he becomes that scared it is what kind is of an, it it's definitely an anomaly and i guess it's just like you, ooh, this is gonna be kind of dark. You know how, <laughs> Please, you know how like in places like Rwanda, there are like child soldiers. <laughs> yes, this did get dark. Yeah, yeah, child soldiers like, to a certain extent, believe that like they will not die. Like they don't have like that fear of death in them. It's what makes them like such terrifying combatants. Mm. So I think that's maybe that's part of it. It's it's youth. 
on the side of Shaggy where he's like, he has no concept of his own mortality, therefore he has courage. Shaggy Rogers, child soldier. <laughs> it's once Shaggy becomes like a college-aged man that he realizes that he could die, and that's why he's, he's afraid. He's afraid Ooh. of death. I, I like my theory that we're going to see something happen at some point in a pup named Scooby-Doo that really breaks Shaggy. And you know what that thing is? And I just realized? It's that Scooby-Doo dies. Because there's no way a dog could live that long. So he gets another dog named Scooby-Doo later on in life. Oh, so this is... That's... And that's the reason... That's the last episode. That is the last episode. That's the last episode. And that's why this show is called A Pup Named Scooby-Doo. Because yep. he later pur purchases... A dog named Scooby-Doo. Yes, indeed. He later rescues a dog named Scooby-Doo. I think we just figured out this series. You know, I I legitimately don't know. Because we've joked about this podcast going on forever. <laughs> yeah. I legitimately don't know if there will ever be a time that we'll have covered every episode of Scooby-Doo. Because, like, when a new show comes out, that's, like, I don't know, like, 20 episodes, which is, like, half a year on top of, like, everything else. I don't know if we've done the math on how long we'd have to do Scooby-Doo, but I think if we did it at our current rate, we would probably die right when we finish as old men having lived long well, lives. Just because new episodes would keep coming out. That we wouldn't be able to cover any episodes from now until that point because it just comes out too fast. They never stop. Like that, it, that is to say that eventually we will cover the final episode of A Pup Named Scooby-Doo and we'll find out if that's the case. We're not going to do any research into it. No. But that's what that's what we're going with for the time being. Even if it doesn't happen, the episode that comes after that one, the one that is in our imagination that we know has to happen before the uh, the next series, is this puppy dying because it couldn't possibly live long enough to see Shaggy through high school. That's a, that's a very accurate observation. Yeah. Um, there's a from that pleasant thought. Let's yeah. Let's cut out. Let's let's take off one of our Scooby tropes. There is, yes. uh, sort of, because it's not, it's not as you would describe it, Scooby Snack Bargaining. Scooby Bargaining. Mm. Uh, instead, what is it? Uh, instead, it's just a, a simple Scooby enticement. Uh, Scooby doesn't want to go into this scary estate. Shaggy is pulling on Scooby's leash, which is kind of weird. I don't feel like you should need to put Scooby on a leash for him to lead you on this, uh, lead you to follow the trail. And especially, it's, it kind of brings it home when Shaggy's trying to pull Scooby into the gate, and Scooby's head is, like, scrunching up like a scrunchie. And, uh, and that's the thing, is that Scooby doesn't want to go inside here. So Daphne says, would he do it for a Scooby snack? She holds up a box, and Scooby would do it for a Scooby snack. In fact, he would eat the Scooby snack. He will turn into a dog rocket. He will shoot up into the air. As we know from the intro, although we don't see it here, he will explode into fireworks in the air. And then he will float back down, his spots mysteriously gone, into Shaggy's arms. Right after this, now they are brave enough to, to enter into this uh, Ferguson estate. Fred, I guess for the first time in this show, and I guess by that m metric chronologically for the first time ever, ever, says, let's split up, gang. And everyone else turns to him aghast. They're like shocked and terrified. Like he's crazy. But they do end up... Um, they do end up uh, complying, and it's the it's the regular sort of splitting up in which Scoop and Shagger with uh, Velma and Daphne and Fred are off somewhere else. Yeah, I, I really like that they treat it like it's a stupid idea initially. When Fred's like, "Let's split up," the weird thing is that they then just go along with it without voicing any any dissent. 
there's uh there's a storm seller and this is one of those like i said they're very brave because shag says uh take a peek in the storm cellar will you scoob and scooby does not even think twice he opens up the storm cellar which i will say as a 26 year old full-grown man would be very scary storm cellars are frightening yeah at a minimum there's gonna be spiders in there uh but he does open it and the swamp monster is inside and the swamp monster demonstrates that it has a xenomorph like tongue yeah in fact we might have even seen that at the start that when the monster opens its mouth a smaller monster head pokes out as a tongue uh the monster says get out several times which i will note mr conrad said earlier scoob somehow uh knocks into the monster closing the storm cellar and and they they run away they find um they find daphne and fred in a graveyard of some sort yeah apparently they, daphne and fred went to make out in a graveyard or something i don't know but uh, scooby shaggy and velma do run up to them and they say hey we, we saw a ghost we saw a monster and daphne is yet still very skeptical uh there's just a little bit i I feel like this was a classic gag at the time i'm not going to go into it in too much depth Hmm. um but shaggy sounds like a baby uh because he's so frightened and uh, daphne says i know shaggy acts young for his age but this is ridiculous um scoop does another monster impression he made one earlier and he does a very it's a very accurate monster impression because the monster is like a goop monster, like a swamp monster, and Scooby makes his face melt a little bit. So someone does uh, does frighten the gang, and for the second time, we didn't mention it the first time, both Velma and Scooby leap into Shaggy's t-shirt. <laughs> I didn't even realize they'd done it before, but yeah, it's true. All three of them leap into the Shaggy's t-shirt, so just their heads are poking out of Shaggy's neck hole, which means they're all in there with Shaggy's shirtless torso. Uh, it is the, and, and I know you said, like, woman of color, but I, I like, I'm pretty, she, I'm fairly certain she's, she's black. black. Yeah. It's the black Carmen Sandiego, as you mentioned. She's not wearing red. It's like a darker shade. Shows up. Uh, sh- her name is Shirley McLoon, and she's a world famous medium, at which point, whenever a medium is introduced in any medium, um, they always make the joke that like, oh, you look more like a small to me or whatever. In which well, case, that would be the smart joke to make because it's complimentary. In which case, they say extra large, which I will say is very rude. It's so rude. Like she isn't a big woman at all. Like this is actually, I think, a very slender woman. Uh, but she is tall in that she's an adult. But Shaggy made a big misstep saying you look more like an extra large. Why, yeah. why would you say that, Shaggy? That's one of those, like, out-of-the-mouths-of-babes kind <laughs> of uh, things. You know, where, like, children don't have a filter? It's incredibly rude. You know, no matter how many compliments Shirley McLoon gets from people her own age, that's going to be the thing that sticks with her every night as she goes to bed and every morning it's, as she puts on true. makeup. Because, as you say, out-of-the-mouths-of-babes. She, she has a vision. She's like, uh... Do you ever read Harry Potter? Uh, d- yeah, I did. D- who's the teacher of divination? Trelawney. Was it Trelawney? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, she's like Professor Trelawney with like... Am I thinking of the right thing? Like divination? Like yeah, horoscopes she, and whatnot? Trelawney yeah, she, was kind of a phony professor like most of the time, but she was legit a few times. Much. She's like a black Professor Trelawney in that she has like this vision and part of it is like she says get out a bunch because I guess they're in danger. Um, and, then she, and then she leaves. Uh, and a small device falls out of her jacket. It's clearly a camera. It's so obviously a camera because Scoob 
tries to put his face in it and it like brightly flashes at him yeah snaps a pick it's at this point that we realize that not only is fred delusional and thinking that red herring because at this point he still kind of thinks it's red herring he's not just delusional in that respect Mm -hmm. he's delusional in uh believing that aliens exist he pretty much whatever kind of stupid they can pin on freddy they're gonna pin on him because he does say aha just as i suspected uh, Shirley McLoon is an alien agent from Mars who's come here to steal bicycles in a plot to take over the world. His friends don't believe him, which I'm thankful for. Yeah. Do you have what uh, Shaggy said back to him specifically? I actually don't. Do this, this is something that I want to incorporate into my everyday language. He says, Earth to Freddy, please beam your brain back to the vapor trail of my bike. <laughs> which is... Man, where did that line come from in this cartoon? <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, that is a smart line. Earth to Freddy, please beam your brain back to the vapor trail of my bike is something I could say to the guy at Jimmy John's who's zoned out as I'm giving my sandwich order. That could be anything. Earth to Timothy, please beam your brain back to the vapor trail of my sandwich. Yes. <laughs> I love it. That's genius. It's, it, the it's, best it's, line it's, of the show for me. It's a sharp line. It's it's great. Hmm. Um, they then go into the house. Oh, here's the thing. We're we're going we're going longer than I wanted to, but there's at least one more thing that I really wanted to like expand on. Much what was the last thing I expanded on? Oh, my falling down and hitting my knee. Um, around that same time in the Philippines, we had a lot of books, a lot of children's books, and one of the children's books was all about safety. Okay, that makes sense. So there were these three animals uh and one of them was really like just really dumb you know goofus and gallant (laughs) like the example of what not to do yeah it was the goofus he was he was the goofus to their uh collective gallant all this stuff kept happening and i don't know if it was like if it actually happened or if it just was like this was a thing that could happen and they stopped him in time but it would like look at these chemicals under under the sink uh these two animals leave it alone but this other animal he just drinks it um, you know, if you actually have him drinking it you kind of have to get a new animal every new <laughs> episode or whatever maybe, otherwise it tells the kids it doesn't matter maybe he coughed it up or something but I remember that near the end it's like oh look at this house much like the ferguson estate actually um mm. it's obviously rickety and dangerous and like we shouldn't go inside and i remember they go up to it they open the doors and they don't go in except for this one animal and honestly i think he was a turtle walks in and the floor just like breaks underneath him and i guess mm-hmm. they his body is like broken in the basement like it's just like de- oh. I, that can't possibly be it because again this was a book for children <laughs> especially because it's a turtle which is like fused to its shell so if its shell breaks oh gosh it's it's pretty much like i don't remember being traumatized by this book but it was definitely like bad stuff kept happening to this turtle and i think he was a turtle because he was an idiot um, the gang similarly falls through the floor of this house. Their bodies are not, their bodies are not broken. Their bodies actually have their fall broken. By cash money. Give me your money. Is what they say. Because they fall into a big pile of money. It's like, um, it's a realistic Scrooge McDuck money pit. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's gross because it's under the floorboards. Because, because like, Family Guy, I believe, were the ones who... I think of that all the time. <laughs> and as much as I hate Family Guy now, 
they even now still will do these very clever visual gags. Was it Peter who did it? Was Peter the one? It was Peter, yeah. I remember because of the way he talked about it afterwards. Which is, we first need to set this up by saying Scrooge McDuck, if you know, he has a big vault of money that's filled with like gold coins. It's just a huge, what is it, like a 10-story building that is built to look like a vault. The audacity of it. It's, it's to make this building look like a vault from miles and miles away. It's like a grain, it's like a grain, no, it's not even like a silo because it's like, a hundred times too wide for that, but it's just filled with money. Uh, and what Scrooge McDuck likes to do is it's filled, and when we say money, we mean, like, doubloons. We mean, like, gold coins. Uh, what Scrooge yes. McDuck likes to do is launch himself off of a literal diving board, at which point he dives, like, head first. Well, I guess his fingers or hands are sort of, like, pressed together in front of him. He does do, like, that swimmer's hands thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and he literally swims about in his in his cash yeah he just he dips in with nary a ripple and just swims through the money and there's a family guy gag on that in which peter attempts to do the same i can't do what happens justice he i mean it it, it hurts and and he, he he just slams on the top and he says it's as if many <laughs> small hard objects form to make one big hard <laughs> object not a fluid and and he he vocalizes why he thought or like, I think why it looked so easy on the cartoon and how much it hurts. It's very funny. I'll I'll try to I'll, I'll put a link I'll put a link yeah. in the show notes. Here it's dollar bills, five dollar bills actually, which makes more sense that it's going to make a soft landing than coinage. Uh, Velma to herself, she still has her supercomputer on her. She just pulls it out whenever she wants. Um, she does notice that these dollar bills, five dollar bills, which well, we'll get to that when we get to that. All have the same serial number on them. That serial number is B O O one two three. I can't believe I didn't recognize that. <laughs> oh man, whoever counterfeited this money is so dumb. And what I really like is that, um, the apart from Velma, who is like checking serial numbers, which is not something that like any normal person would do, um, they're so excited about the prospect of the fact that they're rich. Like they Sha- feel like it's their money. You're right. They all assume it's theirs. Which, what, like, why wouldn't they? Look, if you took one of these bundles, and granted, they're $5 bills, but if you took one of these bundles, it would be like 200 bucks easy. And if you, uh, later in the episode, we find out exactly what certain amounts of money mean to them. We get a little info on their spending power. And it's true, just a handful of these bills would really set them over the top like at one point shaggy's like oh i have enough money to buy a bike like oh who am i kidding i have enough money to buy like a million bikes and it's true he's so greedy he's so greedy that he's actually he goes to open a door thinking that there might be more money behind it (laughs) he's not even content with this room of money they should be stuffing their pockets booking it out the front door and finding a place to stash this stuff because what they needed was his bike, and now they literally have enough cash to just get a new bike. But no, that's not enough. Yeah, man, that green monster, huh, is really coming after Shaggy. Yeah, it, greed. The, what if what if the monster was inside of us all along? That's what they're learning right now. Thank you guys for joining us for another episode of Scooby Dudes. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, and to stick around for the outro, we'll tell you where else you could follow up with us. Uh, um, uh, I just. Uh, Oh, what, what was that I wanted to mention? I, I just that this is so much money, especially because it's somewhere after 1959. That's what Shaggy's new bike was named in 1959, Cherry Saf, uh, Starfire. It's just an insane amount of money. 
I mean, it, it, this, has, this has to be the 8th. No, this was the 90s. It was the 90s, but I think this was set earlier because they're oh, kids. Oh, within the... Con- but they have supercomputers. Ah, uh, that's true. Well, she... Yeah, man. I really don't know. I don't know when this show wants to be set. The, mo- the monster's behind it. It menaces them. They run to a wall. They're cornered. Uh, Velma sees a button. She shrugs like, oh, and she presses the button. At which point, um, the floor that they are on rotates, which I guess is another trope, which is secret passages. Oh yeah, um, check that box. It spins around. It's weird. Like it spins around, and then all of a sudden they're they're on, on like a, a shoot or a slide, um, and in a similar gag to Scooby Dude, um, there's a sign that you need to pause. You actually need to pause it. It's it's fairly quick. There's a sign that says, in all caps. Standard cartoon shoot gag as they're like sliding down this this shoot. Standard cartoon shoot gag. You're right. Somehow it it spins around and it sends them even further down into the bowels of this house, with torches that are lit. Yeah, it's a spooky dungeon. Basically, it's a dungeon. We we wound up in Frankenstein's laboratory. Is what Shaggy says. They see a contraption, like like a like a large contraption, and uh, contrary to what you might find in an actual dungeon. It is not a torture device. It's actually a printing press. Yes. Uh, contrary to what Freddy thinks, who thinks that it's an alien device to bring them to the alien planet where they're going to be cooked for dinner. Oh, Fred, you're so frustrating in this. He's not funny dumb in this episode. In later iterations, he's hilarious dumb. Not so much here. Uh, and, and this is, I guess, the final note about Scooby and Shaggy being very brave is they're like oh i wonder what's down here and they start to make their way down another flight of stairs and at this point they're already two levels down in the most haunted house in town yeah right it's just like i would i wouldn't do that i wouldn't be trying to go deeper i'd be trying to like get out of there yeah as soon as possible like if you you're already putting yourself deeper and deeper in danger if anything just double back grab a handful of bills if you really want your bike that bad but they do go, I think that's even more than two levels down, because that shoot takes you quite a few levels. But they go down, and they do manage to see his bike again. Yeah, uh, Velma says jinkies. It's because uh, she notices that the chain on the bike is missing. And we did see a similar chain on the contraption that was down in the ba- that was up <laughs> in the upper level basement we just passed through. Uh, the, the monster shows up again. It demonstrates the ability to have, like, Russian nesting doll xenomorph tongues. Yeah, fractal nesting tongue. I guess fractal would be if it branched out. But yeah, each of his tongues has a tongue. And if you're wondering how this gag worked, what the costume was, it is never explained. Uh, From my understanding on the Scooby Wiki, this is an anomaly in that um, when the chase scene starts, the gang is not responsible for turning on the music. Whereas in, I I guess, all the other episodes on the show, whenever there's a chase, they turn on the music somehow. Um, but in this, it just it's, starts playing out of nowhere. Mm. And I, it's true in Scooby Doo's that they do prompt the music in the story. And I think I think that in this episode, it would make more sense. It would make the most sense for them to turn on the music because uh, they they react to it as if they could actually hear it. Well, they are all dancing as the monster is chasing them. They just start stop and start dancing to the soundtrack, yeah. and then they get scared by the monster. They're doing like little peanuts dances. It looks so much like Charlie Brown. It's almost plagiaristic. It's I would say it's definitely plagiaristic. It's plagiarism. Um, but it's yeah, it's it's a sort of fun little thing where like 
Well, fun and weird in that every time, whenever they're not being chased by the monster, they're dancing. It, it almost looks like the ending of a movie. Like, it's, it's, it's so weirdly upbeat. I mean, it is a musical chasing. We do have doo singing behind this, so that, that's another box that we do have to check. Uh, the song is called Gloppy Green Ghost, uh, and there no, there's no credits for it, so I have no idea who sings it, I have no idea who wrote it. Uh, the lyrics do make mention of a gloppy green ghost, which is, of course, the ghost uh, that is in this episode. Um, the one thing I want to say about this whole chase scene, uh, and it is a musical chase scene, check that off, um, is that Velma loses her glasses at one point. And, of course, whenever she loses her glasses, she crawls towards the nearest flame, the nearest open fire on the ground on her hands and knees. And that's really, that's a, honestly, that's really terrifying. That's really scary. That was the scariest moment for me, particularly because she's so, such a baby in this episode. She seems so young and vulnerable. And, and, uh, Scooby pulls off, like, an Errol Flynn-like maneuver in which he swings from a rope and, like, uh, saves her before she can reach out into this fire. Um, yeah, but he, like, drops her on the green monster. <laughs> and so, like, he and Shaggy both take turns swinging down and helping her. The monster is menacing everyone else. Scooby is near the printing press with Velma. Everyone else is being menaced. There's this cat litter tray, once again, full of green, dried printing press ink. And right when Shaggy shouts to to no, to just to the sky, Scooby-Doo! Where, Where are, are you? you? Which, in this, shouldn't he say, a pup name, Scooby-Doo? <laughs> <laughs> Does that make more sense? But he shouts, Scooby-Doo, where are you? And that's when Scooby sneezes on this, this ink prompts a sneeze from Scooby, who bounces all the way around, out, and knocks the monster on his booty. Uh, the monster uh, ends up getting knocked into the printing press. Velma, who has a penchant, I guess, for just pressing buttons, I think she pulls a lever in this case. Uh, to operate the machine, which mm. um, crunches the monster's lower half into its into itself. Yes, and as we see red rain down on the other side of the machine, we know it wasn't just a goop monster after all. It would have been so. It would have been consistent if the monster had gone through and come out the other side as as a green goop monster newspaper. <laughs> that would have been great. But uh, but unfortunately, uh, yeah. It, again. It's, it's like what John Colton Barry made observance of in the fact that Scooby and Shaggy are the ones who break the laws of physics, but it's not for everyone. It's not for every character. Mm, it's unique to them, so th- as they are the primary comedic relief. They open up the cell door that they were being backed up against, and who should they find inside but uh, McLoon? What's her name? Something McLoon? McLooney? Shirley McLoon. Shirley McLoon. And uh, it turns out, well, she's not a Martian, obviously. Yeah, but neither is she a psychic. Yeah, she's not a psychic at all. She's not a medium. Uh, she is a regular-sized undercover agent. Yes, <laughs> regular-sized indeed. She does wear a giant coat, but no, she, she was putting all that on as an act to try and bust this counterfeiting ring. And here's, we're, we're so close to the end. We are a little bit long, running longer than I wanted to, mm. but we have to discuss... If this is how every episode of A Pup Named Scooby-Doo goes. You mean where they turn to the camera and everyone says, Do you know what happened? 
Well, did, wait, did that happen in this episode? That did happen in this episode. But after they said that, Freddy launched into one of his crazy conspiracy theories. He basically turns the camera and says, Hey, we know what happened. Do you know what happened? That's right. Shirley McLoon is an alien. And she swooped down and stole Shaggy's bike. And now she's printing. He has this crazy whack job theory. And then Velma steps up and gives us the real deal. But what is so, it you're wondering about? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to make some reference. And I guess I'm going to spoil that episode. Which between you and I both to our listeners I think they should still listen to because it's it's quite good I thought we did a good job yeah um, but uh, skip I, the next 30 seconds if you don't want to get it spoiled I will say that that episode um was sort of like a what is it like a like a Sunday more or a Saturday morning special or sorry a very special episode because that episode concerned uh wait for it drugs <laughs> um and so it made sense that one of the characters on that show revealed themselves to be an undercover agent because look if it's drugs that are being smuggled in and out for kids to be sort of cracking that open it really like there really needs to be an adult presence because that i don't know it's like dangerous you know what i mean like it's yeah and you want to communicate the message that hey if you see this stuff or if this happens if you're like just pass it off to an adult yeah find someone who who has authority in this case though it's the same in that a character that had previously been introduced and even been um a suspect in this case because she says get out in her vision um, much like mm. another character, much like the monster did. Yes. Uh, yeah. So it's just like in every episode, is the adult is there an adult red herring who turns out to be not the monster but the person trying to catch the monster? So it's almost like a game of mafia where you're trying to figure out who's the cop as much as you're trying to figure out who's the criminal. And and red herring is always the the innocent civilian, as it were, <laughs> yes. who gets killed on the first night in the, in this three person game of mafia. But yeah, she she is a, a federal agent who's trying to bust this uh, this counterfeiting ring. So who is actually the monster? Yeah, well, there's only one other character that it could be because we know it's not Red Herring. No, it's Mr. Conrad because Mr. Conrad shouts in the exact same way as this monster. Uh, Mr. Conrad says, in, in a close approximation, it's not exactly. Uh, I'd still be in business if it wasn't for you pesky kids and that Man. dog. Why does nobody want to give us that satisfaction? My gosh. Well, we will get to it. We will eventually get to it. Um, Shaggy quits on the spot. Well, this is the weird thing to me is that as he's like being taken away, Shaggy's like, hey, by the way, I quit. It's like, dude, Shaggy, that company seriously wronged you. Like he was acting as a manager of the company when he stole your bike and like used the chain. That was what it, why he stole the bike was so he could use the bike chain on the printing press machine. Which is like, why not just not buy a chain instead of a monster costume? That's bad money management. But I feel like Shaggy could have leveraged that bad experience to get a better position in the company. Especially considering he was the only other employee. And we should probably break down what a terrible idea this whole thing was on Mr. Conrad's part. Like, it's so... Yeah, please, let's try and get into the mind of the criminal here. Okay, okay, so here I am. My name is Mr. Conrad. Oh, hey, Mr. Conrad. I, uh, I guess am the, uh, the editor-in-chief of a local newspaper called the Daily Babbler. Hmm. Uh, ostensibly, this provides me with a healthy source of income. Yeah. Uh, I have very few employees. (laughs) Oh, you're saving overhead. And this is 1980 or earlier, so... Uh, presumably the print industry is thriving. Yeah, exactly. Like, like newsprint is, is, is still, yeah, uh, a healthy business. Um, 
but I want to make more cash. I have access to a printing press, and I understand that printing presses are how you create paper money. And, and of course, you know, as a savvy businessman, you understand that each dollar bill has a unique uh, serial number on it. <laughs> you, of course, understand that. You put a little bit of diligence in. I, I also... Uh... <laughs> I also don't want people to be too suspicious, so I print the uh, the second to lowest denomination of bill that I have available to me as a, as a citizen of America. Right, and, and of course you just use your own printing equipment to do this. And I can only assume, Mr. Conrad, that if your printing equipment breaks, you have means to repair it, just as you would as if you were printing your newspapers. Well, <laughs> you know, one of the things about this operation is uh, I, as Mr. Conrad, after printing all of these counterfeit $5 bills, what shall I do with them? How shall I launder this money? And let's say, let's say that I, I'm pretty early in my operation still, and I don't know how to store, store this money exactly. What shall I do but strew it about in piles in the basement of this abandoned house. Wait, wait, it's an abandoned, it's not even your own house, Mr. Conrad? <laughs> you could at least keep an eye on it if it were in your own home. Um, but yeah, sorry. And until you spend it, there's no danger. You were making note about if if my printing machine were to break down in any in any capacity. I can only assume that you have a, a, a contracted service that repairs these for you, or that you at least have spare parts and a competency yourself. There's no way I could ask this contracted service to come into this haunted home which I do not is not in my possession. Therefore, if a valuable piece of this machinery were to break down, what I would need to do is, um, <laughs> I guess, rob my one and only <laughs> delivery boy. Whoa, 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 hang on, Mr. Conrad, you need him to deliver your newspapers still. <laughs> I need uh, these five dollar bills more. Why not just ro take literally any other bike? And also, you already contracted a service to move the printing equipment, this massive industrial printing equipment, down into the bowels of the house when you could have just printed from your own... We saw identical machinery up in your uh, your own printing press. And also... Your building. It's conceivable that he was already printing in the building because there was a green printing press ink. M Mr. Conrad, I'm going to ask that you don't refer to yourself in the third person. You're starting to really worry me a little bit. Everything about this... It's, su it's such a foolhardy plan. <laughs> it's... Like, he literally, rather than buy a replacement part for his machine... He stole, he bought a costume, like a, a really mud-covered, realistic costume, and then stole the bike of his only employee. That is genuinely what he did. Okay, we're, we're going to cover the final scene. They, they find themselves in a chocolate shop, uh, which I'm, I'm pronouncing, trying to pronounce as I would if it were Archie Comics. It's Fatty's Malts, Burgers, and Fries. It's a weird, it's a weird scene because they're at the counter, or the bar, rather, of this place, and um, the only one without ice cream is Shaggy. And uh, and we find out it's because the fee for Scooby-Doo, uh, what was it, Scooby-Doo Detective Agency? Scooby-Doo, yeah, Scooby-Doo Detective Agency. Well, the, the Scooby-Doo Detective Agency has its fee for helping Shaggy recover his bike. Even though Shaggy's a part of it, you'd think he'd get some kind of employee discount. But this fee is... 10 cents a day and all the sweets that everyone can eat. Yeah, 10 cents a day plus price of all the goodies we can eat. And and look, this can't have been more than two days. I thought it was one. I thought it was a single day. 
I thought it was one as well, but like 10 cents doesn't sound like a lot unless this is a long time ago. The real question is the cost, and the cost must be considerable because Shaggy is foregoing sweets himself. Velma does the math. She has like a like an old-timey calculator with like, I guess, reams of paper come out one end. Um, and apparently the cost of this uh, particular investigation is $25. Which is, given the time period, apparently an insane amount of money. Shaggy, like, seriously pales in the face when that is mentioned. He does not have that kind of cash. Uh, apparently, this is because Scooby is also one of the has one of the appetites that must be sated. We pan over to Scooby-Doo, and he's got uh, top-shelf liquor. That's the malt, if you will. <laughs> he's gotten bottle service at this, uh, at this chocolate shop. He's requested caviar and his banana split. It's such a weird note to end this episode on, and we have to wrap up our own episode. We really do have to bring this to a close. But it is, like, it sucks for Shaggy. He, he was so close to all of this money that turned out to be fake, and now his friends are grifting him. Yeah, his friends are charging him for work that he himself did. And largely spearheaded. Shaggy did the scariest things. Him and Scooby. It's, there, and Scooby is the pet. There are moments in this where you're like, oh, these are kids and they're friends. But this last scene, I'm not going to say it left a bad taste in my mouth, but it's not, it's, it doesn't end things on a good note, I think. No, it's it's almost like if you tell your friend, like, tell, make a bet with somebody, you say, I'll take you out to dinner, and they demand that you take them out to, like, a lobster dinner, and they, like, buy all this expensive stuff and hold you to the word in spite of the fact that they know it's tough for you to afford it. It's that kind of thing that's like, we're not friends if you do this. Yeah, like, like I imagine within the context of this world and, like, the, the era and, like, their age, mm. that Shaggy maybe got, like like a buck a week that's exactly what i was gonna say this feels like a buck a week allowance because his family does well and this is so literally this is this is just shy of half a year's allowance <laughs> hopefully he's been saving up otherwise he's gonna be a long time indebted to this malt shop it's ludicrous and and to think if he had taken five counterfeit bills he would have covered all expenses. It's true. They probably wouldn't have even noticed anything. He could have just crinkled them up a little bit, put them into general circulation. No one would ever know. <laughs> you, the the guy who owns the store is just like, does this bill say Boo One Twenty Three? That would be uh, that'd be one to keep. Uh, there's I mean there's a bunch of tropes that that aren't just a uh, really really quickly. Uh, I mean. There's there's no hallways, which I guess is sort of to be expected. Um, there there is splitting up, looking for clues. There is a, sort of a Scooby Snacks thing. I guess there's them eating food, like Shag Scooby at least eats a bunch of. food. It just feels wrong that Scooby's eating and Shaggy is like hard out of pocket for everything beyond his means. That sounds like everything. Even Velma lost her glasses. Yeah. So I mean, like, yeah, it it follows a lot of stuff, and it's just like Scooby Doo, but they're little. But also, man, just compared to older episodes, the holes that can be poked in this are, there's so many of them. And in some ways, it's definitely Scooby-Doo for smaller children. Like, it's, it's made to be similar, more accessible, they spell stuff out more. Uh, the, the way that you figure out who the monster is, it's really obvious. They, they give you plenty of really clear clues and they lead you right to it. Um, so I, I like that there's a version of Scooby-Doo that could be that was there for some younger kids at the time. That said, 
I don't know how needed it was because I feel like the original was really accessible. I, I will also say though, just given the fact that we spent so much time on this episode, I liked it. <laughs> there was a lot there. And there were a lot of funny parts in it. Like you really loved the newspaper bit. I really, really, really loved, really, really loved Earth to Freddy. Please beam your brain back to the vapor trail of my bike. I really like that might be my tattoo. Yeah, and these both feel kind of like modern gags. Yeah, they're, they're, that's the thing. There's, there's flashes of modern gags in this show, even though a lot of it's just really off-the-wall physical comedy, shaggy or, or Scooby turning into weird stuff. But it's there's a lot of nostalgia in there, even though I don't think I ever watched this as a kid. Oh. Hmm. Uh, hey, thanks for listening. Thank you, listeners. And Luke is going to insert an audio cue somewhere to separate this part, the end of this episode, from the beginning of the outro. Strum of the guitar. Get out! Tro, get outro. <laughs> I'm sorry, should I have knocked before I walked in, Evan? Are you okay? Yeah, man. I'm just. Uh, I'm ready. Why, why are ready you... to close up this episode of the pod? Why are you making your bed while in the bed? Just f- focus on the task at hand. Just get out! Get out! Get out! Uh, and we have uh, an outro for you guys now. Uh, yeah. I hope you enjoyed uh, that little recap of a bicycle built for Boo. That tiny little recap. And and once again, I am. This is uh. This is our second time getting to it. I. I'm looking forward to doing it again because just just to reiterate, I'm fascinated by the <clears throat> by the idea that the red herring, not red herring, but the red herring is always an undercover person of authority. Yeah, if we if they continue to be cops and agents and FBI and all that stuff because it's happened two for two so far. And it just seems unsustainable to me. Like eventually kids will be like, "Oh, that that person is the criminal and that person it's it's mafia yeah. did we did we make that comparison in this episode we did make that comparison okay. in the episode yeah. so fortunately we didn't that didn't pass us by at the time it's uh, i mean this is a, a blues clues kind of show where it definitely holds the, the viewer's hand but does it hold your hand in the exact same way every episode that's that's a good question i'd like to hold the hands of our readers uh and sorry not readers our listeners and walk them over to an illustrious group of people who have uh, decided to become our patrons. Yeah, hey, hey, listeners, you guys are pretty cool, but we should introduce you to the coolest people we know, aka our patrons. Yeah, these patrons, uh, they like to give us a set amount of dollars every month, and those dollars um, help us uh, host the podcast, help us host the website, help us pair artists. Uh, it goes a long way because really, Luke and I pay for everything out of pocket. Um, and it's uh, it helps keep yeah. things going. I, I don't actually have a job right now, so it is uh, very helpful for me personally. Yeah, I mean, it's it, everything goes back into the podcast. And if you donate to us on Patreon, you're helping small-time artists achieve their big-time dreams and give you the content that you love. Because, hey, you've just listened to over an hour of a Scooby-Doo recap. you got to love this. There's no other option. If you hate this, my gosh, your life sucks. <laughs> that's terrible can you imagine if someone doesn't like this and they're imagine, listening to it anyway can you imagine someone who doesn't like this listens to over an hour gets to the outro hears the hosts t- 
talking about them specifically and has the host laugh the two hosts together laugh into their ears and they think i hate this when does the next episode come out (laughs) (laughs) if that's you give us money i guess yeah Yeah. do that you could be you could be one of the people whose names we say uh on the air as it were every single week week in and week out and literally week in and and we end week out because we have never we have not skipped a week since starting this heck no you never skip name day and the, so the first time you donate you get a big shout out we'll make a big deal out of it but relatively I guess we'll see and every week just like Evan said you're getting a shout we, out like Luke that. said we do not skip name day our legs <laughs> no. are like little they're little pipe cleaners super withered I have but, I've got good biceps but no forearms toothpicks but our, our names though oh, swole name day what is name day Oh, it's Game of Thrones. No. Yeah, I think it's it's something it's something like fa- like hokey, like fantasy, like oh, you were born on this day, so it's your name day. Like we gave you a name. Yeah, I think it might be Game of Thrones, like Song of Ice and Fire, like from the books or something. So, yeah, yeah. And now I don't want to say that. Uh, we will shout you out. Like we're gonna shout these guys out. Just to reiterate, please go to Patreon, donate at whatever level you're able or comfortable to, and we'll give you content uh, additional to this podcast appropriate to your level of donation. Uh, yeah, here they are. Yeah. Uh, just to rattle this off real quick, uh, hit us up on the Facebooks. Scooby Dudes on Facebook. Like our page. Give us a message. Comment on something. Uh, hit us up on the tweeters. Yeah, on the tweeters, we are, uh, we are at the Scooby Dudes on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, send us an email, why don't you? Uh, we're Scooby Dudes Podcast at gmail.com, and uh, we love getting your feedback. Uh, and lastly, as far as places that you can kind of find us and give us feedback on, uh, go to iTunes, uh, find Scooby Dudes, give us uh, five stars. Uh, cinq étoiles. That's that's French for five stars. And uh, if you do, we'll read your review on air literally no matter what you write. We made this promise to you in a previous episode. E- Evan did, that is. <laughs> Signing me up for potentially a lot of censoring. Uh, yeah, no, I, I made I made that promise and I stand by it. If you give us a five-star review, I will read all of it. If you write, look, if you max out the uh, the character limit in your review, I will still read the entire thing. I've made that I, promise. I will stand I by it. I hope there's a character limit. <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to have an episode just for one person's review. <laughs> and it's just going to be one long dial tone all the way through. The fact that I'm saying it. Like, I already don't think that anybody was going to do it. The fact that I'm saying it means that nobody will anymore, because I think that that cheapens the joke. Like some sort of reverse Murphy's Law. Uh, so, yeah. And iTunes, please leave us that five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. Give us that bump. If you want to go to a place, I, I just told people that if uh, if they wanted to find that video, they could. Um, it would be in the show notes. If you want to find the show notes to this episode, go to scoobydudes.com. It'll be very easy to find the episode. It'll be episode 20. It'll be clearly marked... Um, a bicycle built for Boo. Uh, click on it; it'll take you to the page, um, and then all of our uh, show notes, as of quite quite a few weeks now, uh, are timestamped. So just look for the timestamp of where we're talking about this stuff, uh, and you'll see that I will have embedded a little YouTube link because I think you should watch it. I think it's very informative and it's uh it's worth your time. Scooby Dudes is really just the greatest portal out there, not only for additional Scooby Dudes content, but just for additional Scooby Doo content. 
Uh, I love our screenshots and captions. The show notes are an incredible way of getting additional detail and some wonderful internet links on these episodes. And the corrections as well show you how, how, what kind of journalistic integrity we have. Spoiler, it's a lot. Yeah, we Luke and I continually make these little goofs and gaffes and get things wrong. And when I listen to an episode, I listen very closely and I correct every, <laughs> every one of them. Yeah. Uh, some episodes, almost all of the goofs are my own. And so I must wow. um, swallow my pride and, and spotlight my failings. Yeah. Uh, don't make Evan swallow his pride for nothing. Go to ScoobyDudes.com and watch him swallow. Uh, where else can they... Is that everything? That's literally everything. So we're going to end on that disgusting joke <laughs> yeah. that you just made. I don't get it. What did I do? <laughs> Goopsie poopsie. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to give us lots of points we can end on. Uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening. I really enjoyed that episode. I really enjoyed you, Evan. I love you, Evan. Oh, uh, yeah, and I uh, I love all of you listeners. Oh, man, it's been a while since I've been passed over like that. <laughs> Stings just <laughs> like the first time. <laughs> we haven't done that in a while, Is I know. I... I can't believe we have been uh, we've been skimming over that a little bit. It was uh, it was one of my favorite parts of our our outros. That's the thing; they've gotten like so off the rails, really unwieldy. Mm-hmm.